Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today's Friday, September 9th, 2022. Thank God it's Friday. Weekend's here, or almost. It's almost here. By the time you get this podcast, it will be even closer to being here. And we've got lots of great stuff coming up at, at Hot Air. First off, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm really excited because today is the launch of a project that I've been working on for a while now. And uh, my first opportunity to actually work with a friend of mine that I've known for several years, uh, the uh, actor Adam Baldwin. Um, who's been a friend of mine for quite a long, quite a long while, used to be a columnist at uh, Breitbart's um, uh, entertainment site. Um, and the, uh, and has been sort of a commentator on Twitter for a long time, but really wanted to sit down and rather than just do tweet debates or even maybe even do just some brief written debates, Adam and I decided that we, what we really wanted to do was sit down and have long conversations about really important topics, you know, values, philosophy, ideology, uh, the challenges that America faces at this moment in time. And so we have launched the Amiable Skeptics, which was, um, if you if you watch the first episode today, you have to be a VIP member to, to access this. And I'll, at the end of the podcast, you can find out how to become a VIP member. But uh, we actually took that uh, name from uh, something that uh, Adam's father used to say about himself that he was an amiable skeptic. And I, we just like that term. So the amiable skeptics featuring Adam Baldwin launches today. You can sign up for that at, uh, at the VIP section at hotair.com. And if, again, if you're a VIP gold member, you can access it as well, but you can also access the great content on all the rest of the town hall sites. So that started today. We, we got that kicked in. We're going to try to get this done every week. And, uh, and, and tackle a, a particular topic or a topic frame and discuss how current events work with that, but talk about the philosophy behind it so that we can get a better handle on how to improve things in the future. Today's episode, by the way, is about cultural Marxism. And <laughs> that's a fascinating topic, led us into a whole bunch of different areas, including some we might tackle in the next time. Uh, we're actually thinking about tackling, well, I, I'm going to hold off on saying what we're talking about tackling the next time, because A, we haven't done it yet, and B, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a neat surprise to find out what the next topic's going to be. So just be sure that you're subscribing to it. Uh, other great stuff on the, on the website tonight, uh, or today, I should say, um, Jazz Shaw has got a really good, um, a really good piece up today about uh, South Carolina and the Democrats who are now saying that they want their their nominee to drop out of the race. Crystal Matthews um, is uh, got caught uh, by Project Veritas saying some very uncomplimentary things about the district that she represents. Sitting in a restaurant, Matthews, who's black. Uh, is heard saying that she represents a mostly white district, adding of white voters. I keep them right there, like under my thumbs. Otherwise, they get out of control like kids. Um, you know, it doesn't really make any difference if, if white voters or black voters that you're talking about. If you're if you're if you're talking about treating any kind of voters that way, it's bad and it looks bad. Um, the um, the problem for Democrats is that it may be too late to get her off the ballot. And if she doesn't want to go, there may not have a whole lot of other options. And uh, part of the reason why they don't have too many options is because not too many people stepped up to run against Tim Scott. Um, and so uh, and for good reason, he won. He, he was very popular in South Carolina, still is. 
And this is the problem. Even when you have somebody who's that popular, who's clearly going to win, the party really needs to nominate somebody who's got some seriousness to them. With And this is typical. It happens in a lot of different places, right? Where you have a single party control or, or, or single party dominance. You still need to have a, a good candidate in there just to keep you, just to keep uh, them from a getting a getting a walk because you want the opposing party to have to spend money and resources in that state, but also b so you don't get embarrassed by somebody who just climbs in on their own, and that seems to be the case here. We've seen it happen with Republicans too, where uh, they uh, they left a um, they left a seat open and at the last minute some nutcase ends up on the ballot and he's the only he or she was the only person on there. There was a house race in I think it was Illinois. And I think Joel Pollack ended up jumping in there too, just to make sure that the nutcase didn't get in. I I mean, this is several years ago and Joel's a friend of mine. Uh, Joel's over at Breitbart, by the way. And, uh, but it's important. It's important to, for, for political parties to have a responsible candidate in the general election, just so that they can make sure that an irresponsible candidate doesn't end up representing them. And of course the, the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, sine qua non of this, was in Louisiana when David Duke somehow managed to get the um uh, get the, the nomination down there and the Republican party had to endorse the democrat <laughs> David Duke was a was a humiliation uh and they had to make sure that they weren't endorsing him uh there was another case down there which was equally fun it was uh, Edwin Edwards was there and uh, you had you maybe even been the same race. I, I mean, this is a little fuzzy to me, but the slogan was "Vote for the crook." It's important. <laughs> Those are the types of things that you have to be careful about when you're when you're political parties. When you when you have a when you are responsible, you know, for uh, you know a state party, uh, you have to be careful about that stuff. And uh, that is uh, exactly uh, what didn't happen in South Carolina. So yeah, that's. Um, um, that is the, that's the lesson from Jazz's post. <laughs> Be responsible. Don't screw up. Uh, you know, there's obviously, there's a lot of commentary about Queen Elizabeth II's passing. I'm not sure that we had a whole lot to say about that other than my, you know, my, my semi-obituary about my own personal observations about the tremendous, uh, life and tremendous example that Queen Elizabeth II left us in terms of public service and commitment. Um, in, in fact, later in this episode, we're going to be talking with John Andrasik from Five for Fighting about Ukraine and Afghanistan and what's going on there. And um, we talk about her example. While we were recording it, that was when the news came in that she had passed. And so John and I spend a, a few minutes talking about that as well. Uh, other other notable uh, developments today. We've also got a VIP post from Matt Vespa of townhall.com. Matt used to do some contributions for us years ago. And so he wanted to do some VIP work. And we said, hey, bring it on over here. So his post today, uh, will the FBI's ransacking of Mar-a-Lago get the Mike Flynn treatment? That's up. We should have something, uh, by the time you see this, we should have something up from Tom Jackson in Florida. And uh, we've got Beach Wellborn with some with some of her great commentary. Uh, I write I, I wrote a little bit about the um, decision by Russia to send reinforcements to uh, Kharkiv um, and what that means. 
and how that is going to be a problem for Russia down the down the line. And then uh, Neil Gorsuch was at a conference yesterday and or last night and said that the the investigation into the Supreme Court leak of the Dobbs decision is still ongoing. And if it is, uh, that's great because we haven't heard much about this. It's been very, very quiet on that front. And I'm not convinced yet that they're actually going to release the report when it's written. And uh, we'll see. But I have a sneaking suspicion that the Supreme Court probably doesn't want to have this, uh, doesn't want to become a, more of a political football than they've been already. So we've got that coming up. We've got other posts coming up. Uh, again, we've got John, who's going to fill us in on the BYU uh, uh, hate crime that wasn't. Uh, yet another one where there's no evidence. It's not necessarily that it's a hoax. There's simply no evidence that this took place. And the, the recordings that were going on didn't capture what was alleged to have happened. I take a look at Joe Scarborough, who's you know a friend of mine. Joe, you know, not a close friend, but a friend of mine. Uh, his contention that because Jesus didn't mention abortion, he's not opposed to it, um, <laughs> and that and that supposedly opposition to it is some sort of uh, some form of heresy. Well, if so, then that heresy goes back to about 70 A.D., as I point out. And it's just kind of a silly argument from Joe. He's he's better than that, and I think he's usually more gracious than that. Um, not a great moment for him, but it's being talked about. So I've got something in there. And then I talk about a, a really interesting development in the UK that doesn't really have anything to do with the passing of Queen Elizabeth uh, or the accession to the throne of King Charles. But uh, instead, Liz Truss has made a significant change in the UK's energy policy at the same time that we're going in the opposite direction. And <laughs> I call this a moment uh, for an assessment of comparative seriousness. So that's what's coming up today at hotair.com. Now, here is John Andrasik and uh, and an admission that I have no future in the recording business. <laughs> Enjoy. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast, the Maya Culpa edition. Joining me is our great friend, John Andrasik of Five for Fighting, um, for the second time on this topic, John, and in which uh, I think I've proven that I do not have a uh, budding career in uh, the recording industry. Because <laughs> I screwed <laughs> up the sound on our last interview, and you're back as uh, just a, a gracious gesture to redo that interview that we did. It was a great interview. But uh, I'm sorry about that. That was uh, totally my botch up there. You know, I'm used to sound check every day. So we'll just call that a rehearsal. There you go. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I, I really appreciate all the work that you do, too. Uh, you have a brand new video out for uh, Blood on uh, uh, excuse me, yeah, Blood on My Hands, which is about the uh, Afghanistan pullout. When we we're talking about this, this is right on the anniversary of the withdrawal, the disgraceful withdrawal from Afghanistan. And we talked about Afghanistan and Ukraine. I want to do a little bit, that, uh, go back over that again. And of course, we've had another week now to, to uh, look at what the reaction has been uh, to the one-year anniversary. And I am sorry to say, John, that I don't think that things have changed much. People are still not focused on the fact that we still have Americans in Afghanistan. We've still got tens of thousands of allies there who are are stuck there and your song blood on my hands was a really a gripping indictment of the way that the withdrawal was 
conducted, the anniversary version of this is a gripping indictment of the fact that nothing's changed since then. Yeah, and it may even be worse than that. I think, you know, certainly with the withdrawal, it was chaotic. There were a lot of things going on. We made horrible mistakes. But you can at least look back on that and go, okay, it was um, it was in in a terrible time. Nobody expected this. The Taliban moved in much quicker than we could have imagined. So in some respects, you could um, give the benefit of the doubt to some of our leadership. Um but a year later, I think we have a little more clarity on that. I mean, two of the, I think, most egregious things we've learned in the last year is, number one, the State Department has been actively hindering many of these groups that are draining their bank accounts, quitting their jobs, uh, to save, to rescue those we've left behind. It's, uh, it's inexcusable. It just adds to our shame. I think we have to ask ourselves, why would they be doing that? Um, I think we know, uh, since this has been a political operation from day one, that they'd love to, to sweep this under the rug. And to that point, um, here we are a year later with, uh, everything we figured would happen, you know, women's rights, starvation, um, sexual abuse, reconstitution of Al Qaeda, um, allies still stranded, um, and not one general, not one intelligence officer, not one person from the DOD, not one State Department employee has been fired or resigned. To me, I just think that um, blows my mind. It's despicable. It's it's disgusting um, that nobody said this was this was a great shame. It was historic. It was terrible. We broke our promise. The consequences are generational. And I'm going to resign. it again, I think, speaks to why we're here. We have a lot of, frankly, in my mind, um, people with little honor in the military. And that's not just me speaking, Ed. We, you've talked to many veterans, um, many who I've become friends with, many I've embedded with. Our Afghan veterans think General Milley and General Austin betrayed the code, uh, betrayed uh, their uniform by abandoning their uh, their fellow soldiers that fought with them and sometimes saved our our, our soldiers' lives. So it's all bad. It's ugly. Here we are a week after the, after the anniversary. We knew that it would be a blip. And there were some people who did some great reporting, Newsweek, um, CNN, uh, about the anniversary. But, you know, here we are again. Uh, we've moved on. And as you said, in Afghanistan, nothing's changed. It's just getting worse. And uh, and until we come to grip with, grips with that, I don't know um, how we're going to get through this cycle. And And frankly, why would it not happen again? Right. Uh, uh, because there's been no accountability. And I think we've entered into an era of no accountability. This is a no accountability yeah. era. I, it really yeah. doesn't ma- I mean, I'm not even starting. I'm not even talking that it started with Joe Biden. I mean, I think this has been going yeah. on now for maybe, you know, ever since, you know, Bill, maybe you could say Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky uh, affair is 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 where this started or at least where it, where it rose to this level. But it's been going on for a long time. You just don't have any shame in politics anymore, any shame in governance. And I mean, the, what you described was, you know, if somebody had objected to this, they should have resigned and spoken out about it. Nobody's done that. I would also add, too, that if you believed in this and you saw what the outcome was, you should resign by saying, hey, look, I screwed this up. This is on me. 
And normally you would do that if you're working for somebody else, you know, in, in, in governance, especially at the presidential level. If you're a cabinet member, if you're a high ranking official under a cabinet official, when something happens that's catastrophic, you know, a policy, uh, you know, a, a policy implementation, right, that's catastrophic, you, you resign your post, you, you know, rhetorically at least fall on your sword is what it's, uh, you know, is what it's been called. And yet nothing like that has happened. Nothing at all. It's, it's, it's as though this was totally unimportant. This, there, there's nothing wrong going on here. Joe Biden has talked about that, has set that tone as well. Oh, this was a success. We're finally out and, you know, you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet sort of thing. It's really, it's really despicable. Yeah, and what's even, I think, more despicable is when he made his remarks on the anniversary, he did not mention the 13 soldiers that died. Yes. And uh, it's, uh, it just, again, you wonder what kind of world we're in. And look, during the Trump administration, how many generals resigned? Okay. They were heralded as heroes. And you know what? I had no problem with that. If, if you uh, if you believe the commander in chief is going in the wrong direction, you should resign. Absolutely. That's kind of, as you said, that's what kind of keeps our democracy stable. Um, that, you know, you, you kind of do that. You have accountability. But still we have, you know, General Milley and General Austin calling this an extraordinary success. It's truly Orwellian. And I think it's to our tribal nature. It's it's become so tribal in our culture war that we feel, I guess, if our side makes any mea culpa, it uh, it gives the other team an advantage. And and I think it's tearing down uh, the, the, the pillars of our democracy. And it's it's very dangerous. You know, we talked about the consequences of Afghanistan a year ago with Ukraine. Certainly we've seen with with Ukraine. Was it all because of Afghanistan? Of course not. But I think, you know, Putin's seen American president abandoning their own citizens to terrorists, didn't give them any pause. And now we have Taiwan as the next likely domino. So the consequences of these actions, um, I think, are um, catastrophic and historic. And frankly, we're probably just moving into the the more uh, geopolitical um, consequences of this attitude, this Orwellian attitude where everything's political. Um, and uh, if we don't kind of face that down and, and address it, uh, I, God help us. God help us, Ed, because yeah. it's it's certainly not getting any better on the world stage. By the way, you can find this uh, video, the, the the anniversary video at fightforfighting.com. Uh, and, uh, and, and you can learn about how to help out in uh, the private exfiltration efforts, which John has been really working hard at for the past year plus now. And John, let me ask you about that. I mean, the exfiltration efforts continue in Afghanistan. Even though we don't hear anything about this from this administration, there are a lot of people still left to get out. And so tell us a little bit about what you're hearing about where that's going, what the status of that is, uh, so that we can actually get the word out a little bit as to just the scope of this issue. Yeah, it's uh, again, it's it's really tough. It's depressing. These these groups, Project Exodus Relief, a group I'm embedded with, Task Force Pineapple, Scott Mann's group, certainly Save Our Allies, who took me to Ukraine. It's not just the folks still trapped. You know, they moved a lot of people out to to various states, Pakistan, UAE, and they are stuck there. They can't get out. Uh, the governments don't want to keep them. So it's not just the people trapped in Afghanistan. It's many of the people they rescued are still in limbo. There is the Afghan Adjustment Act that has come out um, that does some good things. Uh, it, it really allows those who've been brought to America to have a path to citizenship. Imagine that, a path to citizenship. Yeah. Um, it does very little for those we've still abandoned. And frankly, you know, 
around the anniversary, I had to reach out to my some of my friends in Congress to make some really tough phone calls because a lot of these veterans who've been working down there uh, just still feel gutted. They feel the State Department's abandoned them. They feel their generals abandoned them. Some of them are in a very bad place. Uh, so we had to make some really tough calls to to hopefully give them some encouragement and recognize what they've been doing. We've seen um, suicides by our veterans um, who right. feel just um, that they can't continue knowing that this has happened. So it's just so tough. And uh, but, you know, when you get on these calls and they're still going at it and you, you they trickle out, they save a couple here or there. It keeps them going and it really inspires you. You know, we we see this mad world of, of politicians just doing crazy things and we feel kind of shamed and, and we wonder what's going on. But then you have these heroes, these American heroes um, doing what you think we would do. And, and so it does give you hope. And hopefully when we move through this cycle of madness, we can have some sanity and recognize some of these folks who, who are keeping the promise and really, in my mind, uh, you know, exemplifying who we are as Americans. What are you hearing about uh, from from your partners in this effort? What are you hearing about um, assistance or support from the U.S. government, State Department, probably mostly in terms of the exfiltration and um, in terms of providing resources to the people who are actually getting this done? <laughs> I hear you. I hear you laugh. I, I asked it knowing that the answer was not going to be good, but I figure it's a good question to ask nonetheless. <laughs> Well, let me just say, look, are there people in the State Department that care? Yes. Yeah. Are they trying to help? Yes. Um, here's just a simple fact, and you can kind of Google it. I think we spent in the last year or two, four to five trillion dollars on who knows what, build back better, whatever. Um, the amount of people that are processing SIVs in the State Department, in some reports, are single digits. Uh, so so think about that. They could have hired a thousand employees to uh, to process these SIVs at the rate we're doing it. It'll take some say decades to get out those that we promised and their families. Add them up, probably quarter million that actually have paperwork to get out, and then go to P one, P twos, hundreds of thousands, special forces that we trained. We are not getting out, and so they have a choice to flip to the Taliban or be murdered. So we're going to be fighting the people we trained. Right. So, again, I, I think just that number, the fact that we've spent zero uh, of our trillions of dollars to hire a few people to maybe process these visas of people that interpreted for us, um, that fought with our soldiers, uh, that translated for uh, all these things. I think that's all you need to know. Uh, but again, there's little, you know, little uh, talk about that from the media. Uh, I think the State Department wants it all to go away. Uh, but I do think I have been told uh, if the Republicans do take the House, uh, there will be hearings and there right. will be accountability. And Mike Waltz has told me this. Other folks have told me this. So uh, that needs to happen. That needs to happen for our own kind of moral center, but particularly for our veterans, our Afghan veterans who need some closure. And until they see accountability, I don't think they'll have that. Right. John, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I absolutely agree with you on that point. And I think that there's all sorts of accountability that needs to happen. And I think we just need to, in a broader sense, you know, sort of a, a philosophical sense, we need to reinstate the um, environment of accountability. It's, for far too long, it's just been partisan accountability, right? 
my side gets in, we go after your side. Your side gets in, you go after my side. What we really need is actual accountability um, and and a way to make, uh, to incentivize uh, transparency and to to incentivize honor and and um and wisdom and this episode in afghanistan is such a disgrace that i think that that is something that may we may actually be able to get some momentum from if republicans do take the house and if they handle this in a professional manner uh we might be able to establish that environment once again or at least start back on that road but i mean it really starts with people who are going to vote for candidates who are responsible, who are wise, who have honor, and who understand how to apply that to public office. Who have leadership, decorum, class, right. fortitude. I mean, here we talk today, Ed, and, uh, you know, the Queen of England just is passed away. Just, just, it was announced while, announced while we were talking. She just passed away. Uh, very sad to hear. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, certainly we'll, we will mourn for her and her family. Um, but what a life she had. Yes. Uh, I, I'll never forget um, after 9-11, you know, she broke 500 years, 600 year tradition and, and played the national anthem. I believe it was at Buckingham Palace. It was. And as, as sad as I am, you know, to see her pass, you know, what a life. May we all have that right. life. I, you know, I'm really more kind of sad about the fact that she was kind of the last of her breed. We're sitting here talking about class, right. decorum, courtesy, um, courage, all these things she exemplified. Was she perfect? Of course not. But but boy, we don't see that hardly anywhere on the world stage anymore. Everybody's right. screaming. Everybody's blaming. There's no accountability. Um, boy, you know, if we could take anything from her legacy, boy, let's take a little bit of that class, that honor, that grace. That she exemplified for what ninety six years. Yes, and <laughs> as queen for seventy years. It was seventy years um, just recently. She just had her okay. anniversary, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of the institution, but yeah. I, you know, in the end, you have to be a fan of of the person, as somebody who made a commitment at the age of twenty six, when most of <laughs> us were still. We couldn't even commit to. You know, we couldn't even commit to our our, our brand of you know pop. <laughs> right? um, she made a commitment at age 26 to dedicate her entire life in service to her people and to her last breath fulfilled that. And, yes. and again, you're right. She's not perfect. Nobody is, but my goodness, what an, what an example of, of grace under pressure. What an example of leadership, but quiet leadership. Um, what an example of uh, fortitude. It's just amazing. And I, I'm with you. I'm I'm very much saddened because I don't know that we're going to see her like again. I certainly hope we do, but yeah. I don't know that we're going to see her like again. And uh, maybe part of a of a generation that just simply uh, just simply had lessons and wisdom that we just uh, succeeding generations just didn't have. Um. All right. I want to talk a little bit about Ukraine too. Um. Certainly, we talked about this in the in the in the great episode that Ed botched. Um, uh, we talked about, <laughs> talked about Ukraine, uh, and there's news. We were talking about it last week. We started to kind of hear rumors about the um, about a counteroffensive that 
Ukraine was making. Well, in the days since then, clearly they, they, they've launched a major counteroffensive along several points of the line. And I was reading the um, ISW report from yesterday saying that it, apparently it's been pretty effective and that uh, they are starting to gain back significant uh, pieces of ground here. And I, first off, I'm curious about what you're hearing. And then I want to talk about what you are doing uh, um, in um, in relief efforts for the Ukrainian people, because that's a, that's also an amazing story. No, it's certainly encouraging. Uh, I mean, you, th- you talk to people on the ground that are kind of experts in this. They still feel, you know, the Russia ground and pound. We're just going to, like, annihilate you. There's no civilian targets. There's no military targets and slowly engulf you. Um, they still think that's the likely end game. On the other hand, uh, you see, um, I think what people never thought is not only is Zelensky kind of standing their ground, but they're retaking uh, their weight taking ground that they had lost. Uh, look, yep. I think people agree that unless uh, the West supplies them with more longer t- long range weaponry, artillery, which we have. Yep, we've and, done and, and And you're starting to see the results of that, that this war will go on, you know, for years. But it is encouraging. And and I think what I'd like to see more of um, is the world kind of standing up, uh, recognizing that, calling out Putin, um, putting more cultural pressure on the Russian people uh, to take some of this into their own hands. You saw the French president the other day say some things that were kind of not very helpful, I think, in, in, in the state of this. Right. But uh, but also people like a winner. You know, so I think you might start seeing a little bit more of that. I would like to see the president of the United States go to Kiev like every other member of the G7 has done. Uh, I understand the reasons maybe not to do that, but there were the same reasons that Boris Johnson was told not to go and the president of Poland was told not to go. So I would like to see uh, an uptick on the, the pressure beyond just the military side. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, we're calling for a global concert for Ukraine. I think artists of the world need to speak up. Let yeah. the Russian people know that, hey, they are the pariahs. Their propaganda has been lies. And uh, they have a choice in this, too. And and so we've talked to some folks at the Polish embassy, um, working with Bonnie Carroll from TAPS, Save Our Allies, Sarah Verado, her team. So I think all these things, economic, political pressure, certainly military side, there's an opportunity here um, to really kind of push this thing forward. Not just sit back and go, hey, they're doing a little better. We can go like, you know, go watch the Ram game tonight, which I'll be doing. Um, <laughs> but um, but I think we need to up the ante on this and 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 give them what they need. You know, the winter does give the Russians some advantage. The land hardens. They can move their equipment. But uh, certainly the m- morale of the Russian soldiers has to be depleted. None of them wanted to be in this war. So I think it's an opportunity to let's take these gains and up the ante and try to end this war. Uh, I don't see that. I don't see that from our leadership. Um, I don't see that from the president. Um, and I don't see that, frankly, from the G7. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully they'll step up just like Zelensky and the Ukrainian people are and, and, uh, and end this thing. Uh, well, maybe there's a window to do that. So where can people go to help you and your partners out? Uh, not just on, you know, Ukraine, but on Afghanistan, you know, where do where should we send people so that they can uh, participate in the really, you know, outstanding work that you're doing here, John? 
Well, thank you. I mean, if folks just view and share the Can One Man Save the World video featuring the Ukrainian orchestra that we filmed in oh, the Antonov Airport in Kiev, beautiful. Every penny, every every stream goes to save our allies uh, who saved 12,000 people in Afghanistan. Now they're in Ukraine. Frankly, some folks are setting up operations in Taiwan already. Um, also, my whatkindofworlddoyouwant.com website, all of that money, I just gave a donation to Project Exodus Relief, a smaller Afghan group that really needs the funding. They have very low funding, but Mike Edwards is doing an incredible job there rescuing people as we speak. Um, but also just kind of just keep keep it in your mind and, and, and don't forget about these these causes. I know Ukraine has some issues for Republicans. I understand that. Corruption, where's the money going? Right. Those are important questions to ask. You're not wrong. But the, the fact that if we allow Putin to devour Ukraine, our soldiers, our sons and daughters very likely will be fighting in Eastern Europe in a couple of years. Keep that in the back of your mind, too. Um, right. We can do both. We can do Afghanistan. We can keep the promise. We can support Ukraine, Zelensky to curtail Putin's ambitions. Um, we are America, right? We can do these things. So I think everybody has a role to play. Ed, you with the new CEO, whatever you're called, president <laughs> of hot air, taking over the reins. You know, you have a job, you know, to to yeah. make the world a little better place. I have a job as a songwriter to do that. We all have a role we can play. So uh, I think the consequences, as I said, are historic right now. The world's on a tipping point. And uh, for those of us who maybe sat on the fence, it's time to get involved. So that's my speech. Uh, God bless the queen. What a wonderful life. Uh, and go Rams. <laughs> <laughs> who are they playing tonight, by the way? Really quickly. Yes, they will. Yeah, they'll be playing the Buffalo Bills, you Buffalo know, in Bills. a few hours. All right, there you yeah. go. All right, well, you go do your uh, go go to the game and enjoy yourself, John Andrasek. You have certainly earned all of that and more. Fightforfighting.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Ed. Take care, buddy. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.